0: All right, good morning and welcome to Just Human number 206. This is the Durham Report Part 3. I did do a Part 2 last night. Um, I had the opportunity to stream, so I went ahead and did that. Because um, I'm trying to I'm trying to knock this out as quickly as I can. Um, but while also giving it the attention that it deserves. Um, don't worry if you missed last night's stream and you feel like you're behind. Don't worry about it because, I mean you can go back and listen to it and you're still going to understand what we're talking about today. Um, or I mean, you can listen to today and you're still going to understand what's going on without listening to part two. You're welcome to go back and listen to part two. Um, but you're not going to be like out just cause you're out of sync with the, the reading of it doesn't mean you're going to miss what's going on or not. understand it. Um, we're going to do this. To, we're going to go over as much as we can this morning. And then I don't, I won't have an opportunity tonight to stream, but either on Saturday or Sunday, I'm going to try and stream for at least two hours and get a little bit more in um, before before Monday. So look for me to, if you're interested, look for me to post about when I will be streaming either on Saturday, it'll probably, it'll probably be Saturday sometime. Um, so anyway, good morning, welcome. Let's uh, Let's get, well, before we get started with this, Before we get started. There we go. There we go. If you're interested in getting this as a podcast, the place to do it is justhuman.substack.com. That's where I put my, my podcast out. Signing up there is free. It doesn't cost you anything. Everything on there is free. But if you would like to support what I do, a paid subscription to my Substack is the number one best way to do that. If you would like to support what I do and also get something sweet and healthy in return, then go to BensonHoneyFarms.com and use rep code JUSTHUMAN. Get yourself some fresh, raw honey directly from the beekeepers. They are lovely people, and their products are delicious. And, um, well, I wouldn't say the soap is delicious. I think the soap probably tastes terrible. But the soap is really nice. I like it a lot. It smells nice. It feels nice. Um... I, I was I actually switched to a different my wife bought a different bar soap recently for me. And I like it okay, but I gotta admit, it doesn't it doesn't feel as good as this goat's milk honey soap from BensonhoneyFarms.com. So if you're dirty and stinky and you need some soap, some really good soap from an America First Family and Business, go to BensonhoneyFarms.com, grab yourself some soap, but also uh get yourself some honey too. Use rep code just human. And lastly, if you're looking to support the show and you also are interested in some merch, redwhitebourbon45.com is where my merch store is. You can find mugs and stickers and all sorts of things, shirts, all that stuff. The mugs are very high quality. I like them a lot. I can't say enough nice things about them. It's just a good mug, whatever the image is on it. But I got to say, I really like this design. Uh, My friend Jim did it a while back and... I just I love it. I love it. So uh red, white, and burn45.com. When you go there, you can get your, you can get an item for yourself, and it also helps support what I do. And thank you to everybody who has gone and gotten some of that. So DZ Dork, I wish they sold their honey in five-gallon buckets. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> So, all right, good morning, everybody. We are in the Durham report. We are on page 68 of the Durham report, the actual page 68. If you're looking at the PDF from justice.gov, then it's going to be page 78 because there's some blank pages in there and some intro pages and stuff, you know. So um, if you're following along for some reason, which I mean, some of y'all are that nerdy uh, as if we're in a class, um, that's where we're at. This is going to be part B, the FBI's and the department's disparate treatment of candidates Clinton and Trump. In the course of the office's investigation, we learned of allegations involving possible attempted foreign election influence activities associated with entities related to Clinton, in addition to the allegations related to Trump. The office, meaning the Durham Special Counsel's office, sought to determine to the extent possible if the actions taken by the FBI and in certain instances the Department, meaning the Department of Justice, to address the allegations were consistent with those taken by the FBI relating to the allegations of Russian foreign election influence attached to the Trump campaign in July 2016. Comparing the respective investigative activity was significant to the investigation since it could support or undercut allegations of institutional bias against either candidate. As an initial matter, given... The particular nature of the allegations related to each campaign, attempting to view the FBI's investigative activity in an apples-to-apples approach, is undoubtedly an imperfect method to analyze whether the FBI engaged in disparate treatment of the campaigns. Nevertheless, the comparisons are instructive, and below we discuss our observations regarding the investigative approach of allegations of foreign election influence against each campaign. Number one. The threat of foreign election influence by foreign government, too. Beginning in late 2014, before Clinton formally declared her presidential candidacy, the FBI learned from a well placed CHS, which would be CHS TAC A, that a foreign government, Foreign Government 2, was planning to send an individual, non U.S. person 1, to contribute to Clinton's anticipated presidential campaign as a way to gain influence with Clinton should she win the presidency the FBI's independent corroboration of this information is discussed in the classified appendix appendix man wouldn't you like to see that the FBI has independent corroboration of the information it's in the classified index Man, I would like to see that. Maybe we will. Maybe we will, guys. Upon the receipt of this information and the predication it provided, Field Office 1 sought to have one of two other better positioned and higher resourced field offices open a counterintelligence or public corruption investigation into these allegations. But but the Counterintelligence Division Executive Management directed Field Office 1 to open a full counterintelligence investigation into the matter. Field Office 1 sought FISA coverage of non-U.S. Person 1 almost immediately in order to obtain access to his or her email accounts and to conduct a search of him or her as soon as he or she arrived in the United States. Although Field Office 1 attempted to obtain expedited approval for the FISA authorization, the certified copy of the application was sent by OI to the FBI headquarters for final approval, where it remained, according to Field Office 1 SAC, special agent in charge, in limbo, quote, unquote, for months, approximately four months. According to another agent, the application lingered because, quote, everyone was super more careful and scared with the big name Clinton involved. Quote, they were pretty tippy-toeing around HRC because there was a chance she would be the next president. Similarly, Field Office 1, SAC1, told investigators that when she spoke with the Counterintelligence Division Assistant Director and Deputy Assistant Director, they alluded to the fact that they did not want a presidential candidate on tape. Even though Field Office 1, SAC1, believed there was a very remote possibility. According to the records the office reviewed, it appears that the delay also may have been partially attributable to a decision to await the confirmation of the incoming attorney general. The FISA was ultimately conditioned on the requirement that the FBI give defensive briefings to the various public officials and candidates of both political parties, including Clinton, targeted by foreign government too. Okay. I'm going to pause for this moment. I'm going to give, I'm trying, I'm going to try and minimize my commentary today so we can get through more of the material, but I have to uh, say CHSA has been confirmed by Patrick Byrne to be him. And if you're, if you've followed Patrick Byrne over the past few years, you've probably heard him talk about Operation Snow Globe. I don't think this is Operation Snow Globe, but the next one we read about, I think is. I think this is a different one. But um it is Patrick Byrne confirmed that it is him. He is CHSA. Um, so if you listen to Patrick Byrne talk about Operation Snow Globe or any other thing, other things he was involved in, you can listen to that, and then you can look back at this section, which starts on page 69, 68, 69, and you'll see um you can try and layer layer what patrick says to this and get a get an idea get some more information insight into it um but the setup is that chsa in contact with government two non-us person one they have this thing this plan to influence clinton by giving some money some exchange of money because they're thinking she's gonna be the next president fbi gets wind of it everybody's wanting to tiptoe around it and be super careful I mean, honestly, that's understandable, right? That's understandable. You have someone who's about to run for president and it's the Clinton. But if it was anybody, if it was anybody who was running for president and they had a decent chance um, and they were a big name, like somebody who had been a former official in a previous administration. There's every reason to be careful and. You know. Cross, cross your T's and dot your I's on this, but. What Durham found is that things lingered approximately for for four months and that everybody was afraid to touch it and actually act upon the information that they had. And then what also was throwing things off was them needing, there was going to be an incoming attorney general that hadn't been confirmed. So he had an acting attorney general at the time who probably didn't want anything to do with this. They wanted to pass it off to the next attorney general, right? They didn't. They didn't want to be the. They didn't want to be known as the Attorney General who approved uh, a FISA on on this and possibly got got Clinton. They didn't want to do that. So, um, not trying to excuse it. I'm just trying to kind of frame the situation up here where you have some of the factors. You know, on December 16th, 2014, FBI OGC, that's Office of General Counsel, Section Chief Rick McNally summarized his conversation with Stuart Evans the Deputy Assistant Attorney General responsible for OI, about the proposed activities. Quote, I spoke to Stu Evans. He suggested that we go back to him rather than calling the AAG, the Acting Attorney General. But the question was not about PC, the presidential campaign. There's no legal issue there. It was about what was the FBI's thinking about this case, specifically whether or not we think that the politician's staff and the politician are complicit with the target, meaning that the politician and staff know that the target is working for a foreign government and has some bad intent. Or alternatively, do we think that the politician and staff are unwitting? And if they are unwitting, are we considering some sort of defensive brief to the politician or staff to mitigate risk? So these this is perfectly fair questions right here they're trying to figure out do we what do we what are we looking at here are we targeting just the person who's trying to who's representing foreign go- the foreign government and trying to get in with this campaign or are we targeting the politician and some members of the staff and if we're targeting some members of the of the politician and staff does that mean that we think that they are witting of this they're knowledgeable about the ill intent of this person this non-us person Certain critical activity in the investigation was delayed for months due to, among other things, concerns that, quote, a politician, Clinton, was involved and that the investigation might interfere with a presumed future presidential campaign. I'm going to check this footnote here. The first footnote, this, this, this investigation is classified. So it says classified code word one, investigative investigation te- chronology. The need for a defensive briefing had been discussed by the department and the FBI even before the announcement of Clinton's candidacy in April 2015. Ultimately, one was provided to her six months later in October 2015. The next one is an excerpt from an interview with Attorney 2, August 12, 2021. And it says probable cause was solid. With plenty of corroborative evidence, end quote. And quote, it was normal to pause FISAs when those when they involved politicians, because those types of investigations are sensitive. This is really interesting that the attorney described it as the the predicate they had, the probable cause. The probable cause they had for their FISA was solid and with plenty of corroborative evidence. Interesting. Okay. In line with the directive, the FBI ultimately provided defensive briefings to the officials or their representatives, though it took approximately 11 months from the receipt of the allegations, the original allegations. Clinton elected to receive the defensive briefings through her personal attorneys. All right. Before we go into the next paragraph, I want to make a comment. There's I have like I have like two things in mind on that specific. Story right there. It appears from here that, nope, you had an investigation that was targeting someone who was targeting Clinton. And the one, the fact that they were unsure whether or not it was just the foreign person being targeted in the investigation or if it was also the politician and possibly staff who were complicit with the target I kind of feel like the the fact that this was a question and wasn't clear to them meant there was a reason. There's, I think there's a reason why it wasn't clear to them. I think there's probably something there that they saw that they were like, hmm. This isn't just an effort from one side. It looks like there's some complicity with the target, but I need to clarify that and make sure the deputy assistant attorney general. Helps me clear this up, right? Because we're looking at a potential presidential campaign and a high-profile Democrat, high-profile politician. And I think the fact that this was a question here meant they had reason to believe that the politician and members of the staff might be complicit with the target. So they needed to ask. The other thing I think about this that's on my mind is this corroborative evidence And then the fact this lingered for 11 months before they did the personal briefings. Most likely, given these quotes here, my opinion is that they, everybody was too scared to do it and nobody really wanted to touch it. It was a hot potato and a, a prickly, a prickly investigation that nobody really wanted. Nobody had the balls to handle it. And they didn't have an, they didn't have a confirmed attorney general and the acting attorney general wanted to pass it off to the actual confirmed attorney general. But I also have a small sliver of hope or a small sliver of thought that perhaps, because and the reason I think this is because Patrick Byrne has described this as a, he, he was part of a sting. If you don't know the story, uh, the story is basically that um, the FBI came to Patrick Byrne and wanted to run a sting, and they wanted to use him as a, um they wanted to use him as their informant in this sting. And um what he describes is that the goal was, well, if I remember correctly, the way he describes it is that there was an element within the FBI who was representing basically Obama's interest and didn't trust Hillary Clinton to do what Obama wanted her to do when she was president. So they wanted to run this Operation Snow Globe in order to entrap Hillary Clinton in some sort of investigation so that the, FBI, the Obama element of the FBI could have their thumb on her. And that investigation, they wanted to trap her in the snow globe. That was, that was why it's called that. They wanted to trap the princess in the snow globe with an investigation. And uh, he participated in it. So part of me thinks they gave it 11 months because they wanted to see if Hillary Clinton or her staff created more evidence for them to be able to put her in the globe, right? But the other part of me thinks that, no, nobody wanted to touch it. And then when someone finally picked it up, they immediately give Clinton defensive briefings, which means now she knows about it and the, the, the gig is up, Right? Right? If you're giving defensive briefings to Clinton about this thing, then the, the gig is up. You're not going to be able to trap her, right? Because now she knows. Now she knows the FBI's are eyes on that. So she's not going to take the foreign money. And then the fact that Clinton had her defensive briefings through her personal attorneys throws a shield up of attorney-client privilege. So anyway. All right. Next paragraph, the use of defensive briefings in 2015 contrasts with the FBI's failure to provide a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign approximately one year later when Australia shared the information from Papadopoulos. Significant to the question of whether a defensive briefing was appropriate here, as it was determined to be just months earlier when a defensive briefing was given to Clinton via her lawyers, is the fact that Australia had specifically noted, quote, it was unclear whether Papadopoulos or the Russians were referring to material acquired publicly or through the me through other means. Further, the office's investigation revealed that the FBI engaged in what were likely very like, no, likely very limited discussions as to whether any such briefing was appropriate. Deputy Director McCabe informed the OIG that he did not remember participating in any discussions about providing a defensive briefing as an alternative to opening the full counterintelligence investigation. McCabe noted that at the time Crossfire Hurricane was opened, the FBI had quote, to do some work to have a better understanding of what it had before taking a step as overt as providing a defensive briefing because the briefing could eliminate or reduce your ability to get to the bottom of the threat. On the other hand, Assistant Director for Counterintelligence pre-STEP said that he discussed the issue of of defensive briefings with others. He explained that the FBI provided defensive briefings when we obtained information indicating a foreign adversary is trying or will try to influence a specific U.S. person and when there is no indication that the specific U.S. person could be working with the adversary. We had no indication as to which person in the Trump campaign allegedly received the offer from the Russians. Because the possibility existed that someone on the Trump campaign could have taken the the Russians up on their offer, I thought it was wise to open up an investigation to look into the situation. How these observations can be reconciled, back to Durham, how these observations can be reconciled with the defensive briefings previously provided to Clinton and others is unclear. The FBI's decision to conduct defensive briefings in the investigation of Foreign Government 2's foreign influence efforts is curious given that defensive briefings could reduce the likelihood of success of any investigation in the foreign influence allegations and that candidates and public officials might then be less likely to interact with representatives of Foreign Government two. The decision to provide defensive briefings to Clinton and others seems to conflict directly with McCabe's notion that providing, quote, a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign could eliminate or reduce your ability to get to the bottom of the threat. Durham catching them in, in, uh, in the... Comp- that's, that's the crux of it, right? McCabe actually admits that, yeah, if you give defensive briefings... Durham caught them. I mean, he, he's got McCabe right here. He caught McCabe because McCabe's like... Yeah, we don't we didn't want to give defensive briefings to Trump, because if you do that, it can interfere with your ability to get to the bottom of the threat because they're going to start talking and people are going to figure it out. Right. That the FBI is looking in and the threat's going to extricate and then you're not going to be able to resolve it. It's just going to it's going to get away from you. But in the Clinton situation, they were like, oh, defensive briefings.
1: He's got him right there.
0: OIG interview of Andrew McCabe. This is one of the footnotes. Let me see. Discussing staffer. Oh, yeah. I picked this out in my thread. So check this out. Field Office 1. This is the handling agent. Durham interviewed him April 23rd, 2020. That's at the very beginning of the pandemic. So shout out to Durham and them getting this done during those times. Discussing the rationale. This is David Archie. Discussing the rationale for the debriefings regarding the threat from Foreign Government 2 and ECs documenting the September... ECs are electronic communications. They're basically like memos, uh, note-taking from the FBI. ECs documenting the September 1st, 2015 briefing to a designated staffer on behalf of an elected official within the Republican Party. So so get this. It sounds like Foreign Government 2, this same Foreign Government 2, also tried to get in or was targeting a Repub- ele- a currently elected official back then. I don't know if they're still elected, but an elected official within the Republican Party. It was October 15th when a defensive briefing was provided to Clinton's personal attorneys by David Archie. So there was also this same foreign government, too, was also targeting someone, an elected Republican. And the FBI gave them a defensive briefing on September 1st, 2015, and then two weeks later, or no, a month and a half later, they gave a defensive briefing to Clinton's attorneys. I wonder who that Republican was. My guess would be Ted Cruz, but I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, And then the next one, next footnote... Report of interview with Brian Otten. Otten did not recall conversations about defensive briefings regarding the information from Australia. Supervisory Special Agent 1 did not recall any consideration being given to conducting straightforward defensive briefings to candidate Trump or members of his team. Interview of Comey by the IG. Comey stated that he had no memory of any discussion of a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign.
2: So, okay,
0: let me just look right here. An OIG interview of Pre-STAP. Similarly, General Counsel Baker advised that there were, Baker said there was some limited discussion about providing a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign regarding the Papadopoulos information. However, in his words, there was also the thought that, quote, why hasn't anyone from the Trump campaign reported this information to the FBI? Baker advised the FBI felt it did not know whom in the Trump campaign it could provide a defensive briefing as there was uncertainty about who could be trusted with the information. Well, did you feel the same way about the Clinton campaign? Additionally, there was some concern about tipping off the Russians if they became aware the FBI had learned of its scheme through a briefing provided to the Trump campaign. That I get. That I 100% understand. Baker advised the FBI did not wish to, quote, mess up the political process by going overt with its investigation. He also advised the FBI needed to do some do more work, figure things out and come up with a strategic plan before deciding how to proceed. He said part of the plan may have included providing a defensive briefing to the campaign. That and then OSC interview of James Baker on February 7th, 2020. An interview of Case Agent on June 19th, 2019. Case Agent 1 recalled a, quote, not notional idea of going directly to the Trump campaign leadership with a briefing about the intelligence threats. That's very specific. So I bet he, it was a discussion between him and maybe just a couple people, but it didn't go very far. The OSC report of interview at headquarters, supervisory special agent, May 28th, 2020, quote, It was important to know if the Clinton people being targeted for foreign influence knew of the targeting. Headquarters Supervisory Special Agent 4 did not think they had any information one way or the other on that issue. And then an interview with the Field Office 1 Handling Agent 1, so this would be the person handling Patrick Byrne. Quote, was okay with the defensive briefings because he felt the common goal was to neutralize foreign government to intent to interfere with the election. Okay.
2: My thought on this also
0: is that. I don't think like my, my general read on this is like, I don't, I'm not looking at it as, as you gave a defensive briefing to the Clinton campaign. Therefore, you should have given one to Trump. I'm looking at it as you shouldn't have given a defensive briefing to the Clinton campaign. Like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like, don't give the defensive briefing to the Clinton campaign. Um, I like that they didn't. I, well, I shouldn't say I like, but. I, I I don't think they should have given a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign. One, I mean, I don't think they should have launched Crossfire Hurricane anyway on the predicate that they launched it on, but launched, I don't think you should give the briefing to the Trump campaign because it would have tipped off what was going on, and yeah, I don't think you give a defensive briefing to either one until you're sure whether or not there's who is involved, until you're sure who is involved, and you don't want to tip off your target, so. But an argument can be made either way. It's it's interesting. Right, I saw a couple of Rumble rants. Uh, Dina, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. They said thoughts on why Hillary didn't just give Durham the middle finger like others did. Would he have subpoena her or and not the others? I don't know. I don't. I don't think he subpoenaed her. I think she voluntarily showed up. Um. At least I don't think it, it doesn't say one way or the other. Actually, if I recall correctly, we'll we'll probably get to that sec- that section today. Um,
1: I think she just walked
0: walked in and faced him. I think she's I think she's well she's good she's a she's good at, she's good at being a criminal swamp creature. So I don't think she I don't think she was intimidated. I think she went there and met him, and she probably got a lot of prep from her lawyers. I'm sure she had a lawyer or 10 there advising her on how to answer and what not to answer from Durham, you know? So I think she, I think she just had the moxie, I guess, to go in there and face Durham. I also think she probably, her and her lawyers probably weighed um, not going, not, not forcing him to do a subpoena or not. And they probably decide, let's just go in there and face him. And, by facing him, by the questions he asked, they're going to be able to, you know, kind of infer what he might be onto or what he knows. I think they were interested in him as well. Escobar for you. Thank you for the rumble rant. They said, good morning. Do you think Comey is still your homie? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know that, uh, I am in, I am, have an unpopular opinion, but I, uh, Comey's my homie, and I still believe he's a white hat. And in this, so far in this darn report, I haven't found anything that makes me not think that. I found some things that make me go, hmm, hmm. But I haven't found anything that makes me think, oh man, I got Comey wrong. So that's where I'm at. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay there until I until I see something that is definitive, definitive. Uh, Comey Comey did something bad, but other than that, it's just. (laughs) Similarly, okay, back to the, uh, back to the the um, the report. You're welcome, Escobar, and thank you. Um, similarly, the respect to the Trump campaign, with respect to the Trump campaign, Priestap's twofold concern that one, the FBI was unaware of which member of the camp- Trump campaign allegedly received the offer from the Russian government, and two, the possibility existed that the campaign had ultimately taken Russia up on the purported offer, is also unpersuasive when viewed in light of the planned activity of foreign government two, given the unknowns that existed in that investigation. Nevertheless, the FBI went forward with the defensive briefings in that investigation, an investigation predicated on the receipt of corroborated information, but failed to conduct defensive briefings to the Trump campaign, an investigation predicated on less certain information. The FBI's and the department's measured approach to these foreign influence allegations involving Clinton also stands in stark contrast to the speed with which the FBI undertook to include the steel report allegations to end the FISA request it submitted to OI targeting page. Indeed, as discussed below in Section 4D1B3, the Crossfire Hurricane investigators received the initial steel reports on September 19, 2016, and within two days had included portions of those allegations in the draft page FISA submission. As noted below, approximately one month later, on October 21, 2016, the FISC signed the initial authorization. During the period between the drafting of the initial FISA request and the approval of the application by the Deputy Attorney General Evans, who was previously consulted regarding the allegations of Foreign Government 2's foreign influence effort directed at Clinton and others, raised concerns in a call with FBI Special Assistant Lisa Page about, among other things, Steele's personal bias, unknown sourcing, and the use of FISA authorities was bad from a policy perspective, to which page notes appear to indicate in response, quote, We accept info from biased people all the time. We We look terrible if we pull our punch due to policy or political concern. We believe the info and sourcing is good as leaks continue to trickle is one of the only opportunities
1: to see reflections. Okay.
0: Despite the concerns raised by Evans, the FBI and the department proceeded to obtain authority from the from the FISC to conduct surveillance of page slightly more than one month after the crossfire hurricane investigators first received the steel reports. The speed with which surveillance of a U.S. person associated with Trump's campaign was authorized in the face of the unverified steel reports and in the absence of a defensive briefing being provided to then-candidate Trump are difficult to explain compared to the FBI's and the department's actions nearly two years earlier when confronted with corroborated allegations of attempted foreign influence involving Clinton, who at the time was still an undeclared candidate for the presidency. Now, next one,
2: Diana. Thank you for the rumble rant.
0: Don't spit out your coffee. <laughs> they say they say that when I read that part about them being afraid of HRC because she might be president, she spit out her coffee. <laughs> All right, so this next one, the threat of foreign election influence by foreign government three. This is the one that I think may be Operation Snow Globe, and I think the bribe was coming from
1: Azerbaijan.
0: Azerbaijan? I don't know how to say it. Azerbaijan, it's Baku, where F1 had a really boring race recently, which was weird because the Baku races usually are. Pretty exciting. I'm not going to go off on that. All right. In addition to advising the FBI of foreign influence efforts by foreign government two, CHSA also provided information to the FBI about reported foreign election influence efforts targeting the Clinton campaign in November 2015 and possibly the Trump campaign in March 2016 by a different foreign government. That'd be foreign government three. A foreign government three insider, who was Insider One, who was known to the FBI to have foreign intelligence and criminal connections, solicited CHSA, so that's Patrick Byrne, to set up a meeting with candidate Clinton because Insider One wanted to propose something, quote unquote, that CHSA understood to be campaign contributions on behalf of Foreign Government 3 in exchange for the protection of Foreign Government 3's interest should Clinton become president. Although this information pertained to a foreign influence threat from a different country, the handling agent for CHSA continued to work with this threat under the existing counterintelligence case for this, the threat CHSA reported regarding government, Foreign Government 2. So they took the first one, and then folded it into this one. The handling agent, I mean, it has the same handling agent and the same CHS. So the handling agent consulted with FBI OGC and the counterintelligence division at headquarters to seek to renew the otherwise illegal activity authority. The CHS had to make introductions at a prior government or at a prior fundraising event scheduled for December, 2014 that involved a representative of foreign government too. According to CHSA, Insider One, on behalf of Foreign Government Three, sought access, through CHSA, to a Clinton campaign fundraising event in the fall of 2015. Although CHSA was initially advised by an individual associated with the fundraising efforts that Insider One could attend, that individual consulted with the campaign and disinvited Insider One to the event because of the perceived negative attention a foreign national might attract according to chsa the fundraising contract between then the fundraising contract suggested chsa schedule a separate meeting for insider 1 okay so they were going to be at this fundraising event but then the insider got disinvited because he was a foreign national and they were like eh that's not going to be good you know, this public fundraising event let's set up a a different a, a separate meeting Field Office 1 renewed the OIA, which w- that is the otherwise illegal activity, like their author- that's the authorization for Patrick Byrne to engage in this activity and not be charged for it. Field Office 1 renewed the OIA from late 2014 for the CHS to attend the late November 2015 event and make introductions on behalf of Insider 1, but ultimately CHSA did not attend the event. CHSA, however, did attend a fundraiser. In January 2016, after providing same-day notice and receiving the approval of his FBI handling agent, CHSA reported in an email that Insider One, quote, got cold feet and was not going to attend. But the source file report indicates Insider One was told by a representative of the Clinton campaign not to attend. When Insider One decided not to attend, he or she asked CHSA to deliver them a message of support. CHSA provided the draft message to the handling agent, who received same-day approval from FBI OGC for the CHS to deliver the message at the event scheduled for later that day. However, without the knowledge or prior approval of the handling agent, CHSA had made a $2,700 campaign contribution, the maximum amount at the time for an individual contribution prior to the event, which CHSA indicated he or she, quote, made on their credit card on behalf of Insider One. If true, the campaign contribution on behalf of a foreign national would violate Title 52 U.S.C. 30121 contributions and donations by foreign nationals. However, despite CHSA's CHSA's claim that the contribution was made in his, her, a personal name, the Federal Election Commission records reviewed did not reveal any contribution in CHSA's name. Rather, the commission records the commission records corroborate a contribution paid by a credit card in the name of a close associate who was a U.S. person of CHSA. CHSA also told the handling agent that they, the campaign, were okay with it. Yes, they were fully aware from the start of the contribution being made on behalf of a foreign interest and CHSA offered to provide a copy of the credit card charges. Despite this offer by CHSA to provide a copy of the credit card charges, we did not find any indication that the handling agent asked for or otherwise secured a copy.
2: Looking at these footnotes real quick.
0: This one goes to 347. Where was 347's footnote? Okay, this at CHS provide draft message. This is the part of the draft message. The message is to blank. for a Foreign Government 3 fully supports you and wants closer cooperation once you are president. This is a message to Clinton. He has always believed you would be the perfect candidate and has been following your campaign closely. Foreign Government 3 in the U.S., have a person have a blank. It just leaves it blank. Have a blank. And it is the only standing fort against another country? Insider one would like to sit with you and your staff to discuss regional affairs. If it's possible for me to get a contact or arrange a meeting, would that be okay? Okay. When interviewed by the office about its contribution, one of CHSA's FBI handlers could not explain why his apparent illegal contribution was not documented in FBI records.
1: Although the handling agent
0: at the time asked CHSA about the payment, there was no indication that the agent documented the contribution in CHS's source file. Moreover, despite the CHS telling the handling agent that the CHS was going to Insider One's house, quote, after the event to update him or her, there was no follow-up by the handling agent to document that source file. In fact, the handling agent subsequently told the CHS to stay away from all events relating to the Clinton campaign. The Counterintelligence Division Unit Chief also did not recall the campaign contribution, despite being shown an FBI net link chat dated at the time of the events between himself and Headquarters Supervisory Special Agent 4 in which Headquarters Unit Chief 2 wrote, quote, just spoke with the Field Office 1 ASAC and asked Headquarters Supervisory Special Agent 4, quote, do we know who made the $2,700 donation? CHS, CHS's boss, or CHS on behalf of Insider 1? We'll have to have an answer for that by the morning. In 2021, at the time of the office's interview of Headquarters Unit Chief 2, his SAC was the former ASAC of Field Office 1, with whom the link indicated Headquarters Unit Chief 2 had spoken about this matter at the time of the events in January 2016. Field Office 1 Supervisory Special Agent 1, who oversaw the investigation, also had no recollection about why this contribution was not documented in CHS's source file or considered as reportable unauthorized illegal activity by CHSA. Also, Field Office 1, ASEC 1, had no recollection of the payment by CHSA and did not know why it was not documented in the source file. Although Field Office 1 had documented reporting from CHSA regarding the threat to the Clinton campaign and subsequently to the Trump campaign of Foreign Government 3's foreign election influence efforts, Field Office 1 did not open a separate investigation into this threat. Nor did Field Office 1, quote, consider this information as to whether it would be a good idea to let Insider 1 get close to HRC in an operation, or that Insider 1 might be a foreign influence threat to the presidential candidates worthy of continued scrutiny. Field Office 1 also did not document the unauthorized illegal activity by CHSA in connection with making a campaign contribution purportedly on behalf of Insider 1. Instead, the FBI effectively removed their sole source of insight into this threat when the handling agent responding to a direction Admonished CHSA, quote, do not attend any more campaign events, set up meetings or anything else relating to Clinton's campaign. We need to keep you completely away from that situation. I don't know all the details, but it's for your own protection. And that is according to an interview with Supervisory Special Agent 1 on April 8th, 2021. Footnote says, quote, their plan however, was to move CHSA away from the political matter so they could fully utilize CHSA in overseas national security matters.
2: So he says that... um,
1: He's
0: saying they took Patrick Byrne completely away from this because he was told they wanted to use Patrick Byrne in overseas matters.
1: Hmm. Moreover,
0: despite removing their source of insight into this threat and DAD Deputy Assistant Director Archie's belief that, quote, the FBI protects the candidates by doing defensive briefings. The FBI did not provide the Clinton campaign or the Trump campaign a defensive briefing regarding Foreign Government 3's foreign election influence efforts. So, Government 3, Azerbaijan, It seems that it was tried to influence the Clinton campaign and the Trump campaign. And the FBI didn't give a defensive briefing to either campaign about it. But the previous government, foreign government, two's efforts to influence the Clinton campaign, which involved the same CHS and the same handling agent and the same field office in that situation, they did give a defensive briefing to the Clinton campaign. But in this one, they pulled, they called everything off, didn't defensively brief anybody. Pulled the CHS, even though there was an illegal contribution. And then there's a bunch of stuff that's not documented. Does it give you the impression that that field office was suddenly like, um, we got to kill this thing? We got to kill this thing now and let's just stop documenting. Pull the CHS. Don't write anything down. Stop. Close it. Put it in a file, put it in a file cabinet and forget that
2: it's there. Hmm.
0: Number three, allegations involving the Clinton Foundation. Beginning in January 2016, three different FBI field offices, the New York field office, the Washington field office, and the Little Rock field office, opened investigations into possible criminal activity involving the Clinton Foundation. The LRFO case, opening communication referred to an intelligence product and corroborate—that's the Little Rock, LRFO, that's Little Rock field office— The LRFO case opening communication referred to an intelligence product and corroborating financial reporting that a particular commercial industry likely engaged a federal public official. Okay, this is a quote. Industry likely engaged a federal public official in a flow of benefit scheme. Namely, large monetary contributions were made to a nonprofit. Clinton Foundation under both direct and indirect control of the federal public official in exchange for favorable government action and or influence. That sounds like the Clinton Foundation. The WFO investigation was opened as a preliminary investigation because the case agent wanted to determine if he could develop additional information to corroborate the allegations in a recently published book, Clinton Cash by Peter Schweitzer, before seeking to convert the matter to a full investigation. Additionally, the LRFO and NYFO investigations included predication based on source reporting that identified foreign governments that had made or offered to make contributions to the Foundation in exchange for favorable or preferential treatment from Clinton. With three different FBI field offices having opened investigations related to the Clinton Foundation, there was a perceived need to conduct coordination meetings between the field offices, FBI headquarters, and appropriate United States Attorney's offices and components from the department. These meetings likely were deemed especially important given that the investigations were occurring in an election year in which Clinton was a declared candidate for president. Several of these meetings are described in more detail below. On February 1, 2016, a meeting was held to discuss the Foundation Investigations. Present for the meeting from the FBI were, among others, Executive Assistant Director Randy Coleman, Criminal Investigative Division Assistant Director Joe Campbell, and Acting Office of General Counsel Section Chief 1. Those present from the department included Criminal Division Assistant Attorney General Leslie Caldwell and Public Integrity Section Chief Ray Hulser. When interviewed by the office, Hulser noted, In sum, that the FBI briefing was poorly presented and that there was insufficient predication for at least one of the inter- investigation, investigations due to its reliance on allegations contained in a book. Holser also downplayed the information provided by the New York Field Office, CHS, and recalled that the amount involved in the financial reporting was de minimis. Although Holzer declined prosecution on behalf of the Public Integrity Section, he told the office he, quote, made it clear, however, that his decision was not binding on the various U.S. attorneys' offices or FBI field divisions. Acting OGC Section Chief 1 recalled that that the department's reaction to the Clinton Foundation briefing was hostile. Let's look at the footnotes real quick. OSC report of interview of Ray Hulser, July 8th, 2020. We note that the, that the financial reporting concerns the Clinton Foundation, concerning the Clinton Foundation, was not available to show Hulser at the time of his interview to help refresh, refresh any recollections he might have. The office, however, separately reviewed the material to understand the allegations that caused the reporting to be made in the summer of 2015. The reporting, which in itself is not proof of wrongdoing, was a narrative describing multiple fund transfers, some of which involved international bank accounts that were suspected of possibly facilitating bribery or gratuity violations. The transactions involved occurred between 2012 and 2014 and totaled hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that doesn't sound de minimis.
1: Guys, you see that? They shut this,
0: holster shut this down. He downplayed the information provided by the New York field office, CHS, and recalled that the amount involved in the financial reporting was, quote, de minimis. Durham gives him a, a bit of a mulligan here, or a little bit of an excuse, because he says we didn't have, at the time of the interview, we didn't have... Access to everything for him to be able to refresh his memory. But we went and looked at it ourselves and we found that actually it wasn't de minimis, it involved hundreds of thousands of dollars.
1: So it looks to me that the New
0: York field office prevented the Clinton Foundation investigation from going forward. Three weeks later, On February 22nd, 2016, another meeting was convened at FBI headquarters to discuss the foundation investigation. The meeting was chaired by McCabe. Well, we can probably guess how that's going to (laughs) go. If McCabe's involved, he's going to be protecting the Clintons. Thank you for the rumble rant, Sparrow. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you very much for your comment. I, I'm enjoying doing this. I'd rather be reading some indictments, I, I have to admit, but I am enjoying going through this report. Present for the meeting from the FBI were, among others, Coleman, Campbell, and representatives from the affected field offices, including then Washington Field Office Assistant Director in Charge Paul Abate. That's how I've always said his name is Abate. I don't know if it's supposed to be Abate or Abate. I don't know. But I've always said Paul Abate. Representatives from the department and the affected U.S. attorneys officials were also present. At the meeting, McCabe initially directed the field offices to disclose their cases, but following objections, agreed to reconsider reconsider the final disposition of the cases. In his interview with the office, Abate described McCabe as negative, quote unquote, annoyed and angry. Those are all quotes. According to Abate, McCabe stated, quote, they, meaning the department, say there's nothing here. And why are we even doing this? At the close of the meeting, Campbell directed that for any overt investigative steps to be taken, the deputy director's approval would be required. This restriction on overt investigative activity, essentially remained in place until August 2016. Avate recalled that FBI personnel from the field offices left the meeting frustrated and with limited limitations placed on them by the deputy director. So McCabe saved Hillary's ass. Yep. McCabe saved Hillary or saved, saved the Clinton Foundation. According to New York Field Office Assistant Director in Charge, Diego Rodriguez, Coleman called him on behalf of Director Comey around May and directed the New York Field Office to, quote, cease and desist from the Foundation investigation due to some undisclosed counterintelligence concern. Ooh, interesting. Coleman Coleman informed Rodriguez that Comey wanted to consult with associate deputy attorney general david margolis regarding the reference counterintelligence matter the office was not able to determine what the counterintelligence issue raised by comey was Ooh, okay for those of us who consider comey to be our homie that that is spice right there Let's check that out again. According to New York Field Office Assistant Director in Charge, Rodriguez, Coleman called him on behalf of Comey around May of 20 of May and directed the New York Field Office to, quote, cease and desist from the foundation investigation due to some undisclosed counterintelligence concern. Coleman told Rodriguez that Comey wanted to consult with Associate Deputy Attorney General David Margolis regarding the reference counterintelligence matter. The office was not able, the office meaning Durham, was not able to determine what the counterintelligence issue raised by Comey was. Footnote, Margolis unfortunately passed away in July 2016 and Comey declined to be interviewed by
2: Durham. That is fascinating. I wonder
0: what that was. I also wonder about the circumstances of David Margolis' death. Were.
1: And I would think that Durham would be
0: able to get at what that. What this counterintelligence issue was, even without talking to Comey. The fact that he couldn't. That is really interesting. All right. So that is on page 80 of the um, Durham report or page 90. If you're looking at the PDF from justice.gov. I'm going to put a pin in that right there and go look at the drops and see if there's anything in the drops that may point towards what this issue may be. That is fascinating. That's one of the most fascinating things I've read in this report so far. Thank you, Brogent Brogent. Um says Clinton investigation reopened, still opened. I think it is, too. I, th- I think it is, too. Um, okay, let's continue with the report. On August 1st, 2016, a video teleconference meeting, VTC, was held wherein the Washington field office and Little Rock field office cases were directed to be closed and consolidated into the New York field office investigation. During the VTC, the New York Field Office was given authorization to seek subpoenas from the U.S. Attorney's Offices in the Southern and Eastern Districts of New York, the SDNY and the EDNY. However, both SDNY and EDNY declined to issue subpoenas to the New York Field Office, despite previously expressing support for the investigation. It has a footnote. OSC report of interview with acting OGC Section Chief September 9th, 2020. Interview of Diego Rodriguez, January 16th, 2020. Case agent, January 15th. Okay, it doesn't have any more. It just tells you who they where the what the interview is that they got it from. Okay. Once again, the investigative actions taken by FBI headquarters in the foundation matters contrast. With those taken in crossfire hurricane as an initial matter, the New York field office and Washington field office investigations appear to have to appear to have been opened as a preliminary investigations due to the political sensitivity and the reliance on unvetted hearsay information. The Clinton cash book and CHS reporting. By contrast, the Crossfire Hurricane investigation was immediately opened as a full investigation, despite the fact that it was similarly predicated on unbedded hearsay information. This is a great point by Durham. They opened this investigation into the Clinton Foundation predicated on a book, predicated on a book by Peter Schweitzer. No insult to Peter Schweitzer, but it's a book. You can go buy it at Barnes & Noble and the FBI is going to open up a book at Barnes & Noble and decide to open a full investigation based just on that. Okay, fine, do that. But compare that to them opening a full investigation on a suggestion of a suggestion by an inexperienced 20-something-year-old, just-hired, volunteer advisor on a political campaign, George Papadopoulos.
1: That one goes full investigation, gets
0: carried on last year's. But this one gets shut down, and one, and the cited reason for shutting it down was because, well, this was just based on a book. We can't base this investigation on a book. But just a year later, they would base Crossfire Hurricane on a suggestion of a suggestion. Anyway. By contrast, the Crossfire Hurricane, blah, 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 immediately opened. I got that. Furthermore, while the department appears to have had legitimate concerns... About the Foundation investigation occurring so close to a presidential election. It does not appear that similar concerns were expressed by the Department or FBI regarding the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Indeed, in short order, after opening the Crossfire Hurricane file and its four subfiles, the FBI was having one of its longtime CHSs meet not just with one Trump campaign associate, but meet and record conversations with three such insiders. And a little more than a month after opening Crossfire Hurricane on Page, a, quote, senior law, senior U.S. law enforcement official was publicly reported as confirming for Michael Izakoff and Yahoo News that the FBI had Page on its radar. In the end. The perceived difference between the approaches taken and the mindsets of FBI personnel central to both the Clinton and Trump matters is well captured in the February 24, 2016 email between McCabe's special assistant, Lisa Page and Strzok. Prior to the FBI's interview of Clinton, excuse me, in the investigation of her use of a private email server while she was serving as secretary of state, the following exchange took place. So just to be clear, this is prior to the FBI's interview of Clinton and the investigation into her email server, Page, meaning Lisa Page, one texting Peter Struck. One more thing, Clinton may be our next president. The last thing you need is going in there loaded for bear. You think she's going to remember or care that it was more that it was more DOJ than FBI? Struck says agreed. So what he's saying is that what Page is saying is that. If you come in there, if you go after Clinton in your email server investigation hard, like DOJ is wanting you to, then if she's the next president, she's not going to remember that DOJ wanted you to. She's going to remember that you did. And she's going to get rid of you, Peter. So you better be nice to the witch,
1: Peter. That's That's what Lisa Page is saying. Or at least that's how I interpret it. Next
0: section. C, investigative referral of possible Clinton campaign plan. All right, guys, it's 1040. We've been going an hour. Let's take a short, short break. Refill coffee. And... um. Then we'll come back and keep going. I gotta turn my computer audio back on. Here we go, here we go. All right, short intermission. That's the wrong screen.
2: Okay, we're back. Where's the report? There it is. Just give me a I'm catching up with chat. Okay. Next section, C, Investigative
1: Referral of Possible Clinton Campaign Plan. One, factual background.
0: The office also considered as part of its investigation the government's handling of certain intelligence that it received during the summer of 2016. That intelligence concerned the purported, quote, approval by Hillary Clinton on July 26, 2016, of a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security services letter from John Radcliffe. That would be this one right here that we looked at the other day. This one right here. And we looked at it last night, I think too. I don't remember, but yeah,
1: this one right here.
0: We refer to that intelligence hereafter as quote, Clinton Plan Intelligence. DNI John Radcliffe declassified the following information about the Clinton Plan Intelligence in September 2020 and conveyed it to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Bullet point one, in late July 2016, U.S. intelligence agencies obtained insight into Russian intelligence analysis alleging The U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton had approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal against U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump by tying him to Putin and the Russians hacking of the Democratic National Committee. The IC does not know the accuracy of this allegation or the extent to which the Russian intelligence analysis may reflect exaggeration or fabrication. According to his handwritten notes, CIA Director Brennan subsequently briefed Obama and other senior national security officials on the the intelligence, including the, quote, alleged approval by Hillary Clinton on July 26, 2016 of a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by Russian security services. On 7th September 2016, U.S. intelligence officials forwarded an investigative referral to FBI Director James Comey and Deputy Director of Counterintelligence Peter Strzok regarding U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private mail server. The Clinton Plan Intelligence was relevant to the office's investigation for two reasons. First, the Clinton plan intelligence itself and on its face arguably suggested that private actors affiliated with the Clinton campaign were seeking in 2016 to promote a false or exaggerated narrative to the public and to U.S. government agencies about Trump's possible ties to Russia. Given the significant quantity of materials the FBI and the government agencies did in fact receive during the 2016 presidential election season and afterwards that originated with and or were funded by the Clinton campaign or affiliated persons, the Steele dossier, the Alpha Bank allegations, the phone allegations, the Clinton plan intelligence prompted in the office to consider one, whether there was a factor in a plan by the Clinton campaign to tie Russia to run, tie Trump to Russia in order to stir up a scandal in advance of the 2016 presidential election. And two, if such a plan existed, whether an aspect or component of that plan was to intentionally provide knowingly false and or misleading information to the FBI or other agencies in furtherance of such a plan. Footnote, To be clear, the office did not and does not view the potential existence of a political plan by one campaign to spread negative claims about its opponents as illegal or criminal in any respect. As prosecutors and the court reminded the jury in the Sussman trial, opposition research is commonplace in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere It's conducted by actors of all political parties and is not a basis in and of itself for criminal liability. Rather, only if the evidence supported the latter of the two conditions described above, i.e., if there was an intent by the Clinton campaign or its personnel to knowingly provide false information to the government Would such conduct potentially support criminal charges. That's what you gotta have. You gotta have that if you're gonna bring charges. Opposition research isn't illegal, but it becomes illegal if you knowingly create, if you create it knowing it's false and then peddle it knowing it's false and then try and give it to the government and offer it as support to open an investigation into that person. Yeah, then you start, then it's and like you have
1: the
2: intent and you knowingly did it, then it's criminal. There, just a second.
0: There we go. Took care of something in chat. All right, second. The Clinton plan intelligence was also highly relevant to the office's review and investigation because it was part of the mosaic of information. Oh, Iowa Trump. Mermaid. Oh, my God. Why didn't I do this before? I had, I should have searched this document for the word mosaic. I misspelled it. I'm so excited. Uh, I can't even spell mosaic. I'm so excited. It's right there on screen. I can't, I can't even spell it. Oh my God. Second, the Clinton plan intelligence was also highly relevant to the office's review and investigation because it was part of the mosaic of information that became known to certain U.S. officials at or before the time they made critical decisions in the Crossfire Hurricane case and in related law enforcement and intelligence efforts. Holy Because these officials relied, at least in part, on materials provided or funded by the Clinton campaign and or the DNC when seeking FISA warrants against U.S. citizens, and taking other investigative steps, the Clinton Plan intelligence had potential bearing on the reliability and credibility of those materials. Put another way, this intelligence, taken at face value, was arguably highly relevant and exculpatory because it could be read in fuller context and in combination with other facts, to suggest that materials such as the Steele dossier reports and the Alpha Bank allegations discussed below and in greater detail in Section 4E1 were part of a political effort to smear a political opponent and to use the resources of the federal government's law enforcement and intelligence agents in support of a political objective. The office therefore examined whether and precisely when U.S. law enforcement and intelligence officials became aware of the Clinton plan intelligence "...whether they vetted and analyzed the intelligence to understand its potential significance, and whether those officials in turn incorporated the intelligence into their decision-making regarding the investigation of individuals who were part of the Trump campaign and had possible ties to Russian election interference efforts, as was declassified and made public previously." The purported Clinton plan intelligence was derived from insight that, quote, U.S. intelligence agencies obtained into Russian analysis. Given the origins of the Clinton plan intelligence and the product as the product of a foreign adversary, given the origins of the Clinton plan intelligence as a product of a foreign adversary, the office was cognizant of the statement that DNI Radcliffe made to Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham. In September 29th, 2020 letter, quote, the intelligence community does not know the accuracy of this allegation or the extent to which the Russian intelligence analysis may reflect exaggeration or fabrication. Recognizing this uncertainty, the office nevertheless endeavored to investigate the base, the basis for. That's a misspelling. That's a misspelling. Bases for. That's the wrong. Ba- that's the wrong basis and credibility of this intelligence in order to assess its accuracy and its potential implications for the broader matters within our purview. Given the significance of the Clinton Plan intelligence and the need to protect sources and methods of the intelligence community, we report the results of our investigation in bifurcated fashion. More specifically, one, this section describes in unclassified form the circumstances in which U.S. officials received and acted on or failed to act upon, the Clinton plan intelligence, as well as the nature and significance of their reactions to it. The classified appendix to this report provides further information. Damn, I want to see that classified appendix. It provides further information about, one, the details of the Clinton plan intelligence, two, facts that heighten the potential relevance of this intelligence to the office's inquiry, And three, the office's efforts to verify or refute the key claims found in this intelligence. I got to pause and go back. I hope everybody in chat understands why I am so excited to see the word mosaic here. I know Mermaid and Iowan are tracking with me. Comey famously said that the approval of the Carter Page FISA was because of a mosaic of things and that the steel dossier was part of that mosaic and he got mocked, mocked endlessly for saying that. And then here is Durham and using that word to describe and talk about exactly the stuff that Comey was referring to and was being asked about. This, this is what, okay, this, this is another thing that like, this is why Comey's my homie. Because Comey was like, this was a mosaic of information that we were looking at. And Carter Page is an asset. Guys, they, they knew what they were doing. This is a sting. They tried to smear Trump with this plan, this Clinton plan. Was a plan to smear Trump and accuse him of all this stuff and sink his campaign and Clinton wins and then they end that investigation. And they charge a few people in the Trump campaign and then and then that's it, you know. And it goes away and Clinton's president and that's it. Trump Mo, Comey because he is a white hat did a counter plan. Genealogy girl, she gets me too. So does Joe Lang. Good morning, guys. Um, Comey was like, "Okay, guys, you want to uh you want to go through with this? You want to go through with this? Okay. We're just going to run we're just going to let you go ahead and walk straight into this and we're going to turn what was your Clinton plan into a trap, into a
1: Clinton trap."
0: Oh man, I'm going to revisit I'm going to revisit this section over and over again. This is page 82. All right. Let's keep going. A, relevant facts. Before addressing the U.S. government's receipt and handling of the Clinton plan intelligence, we reiterate below the description of that intelligence as declassified by the DNI in his September 29, 2020 letter to Chairman Graham. Ratcliffe's letter stated in part as follows. In late July 2016, U.S. intelligence agencies obtained insight into Russian intelligence analysis alleging that U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton had approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal against U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump by tying him to Putin and the Russians' hacking of the Democratic National Committee. As described herein and in the classified appendix, U.S. officials describe the Clinton plan intelligence in various other ways in their official notes and documents. As described more fully in the classified appendix, there were specific indications and additional facts that heightened the potential relevance of this intelligence to the office's inquiry one receipt of the clinton plan intelligence the intelligence community received the clinton plan intelligence in july in late july 2016 the official who initially received the information immediately recognized its importance including its relevance to the us presidential election and acted quickly ...to make CIA leadership aware of it.
2: What's that footnote? Okay. Materials obtained
0: from former Director Brennan's office... Hmm. Materials obtained from former Director Brennan's office holdings... ...reflect that he personally received a copy of The Intelligence... When interviewed, Brennan generally recalled reviewing the materials, but stated he did not recall focusing specifically on its assertions regarding the Clinton Clinton campaign's purported plan. Brennan recalled instead focusing on Russia's role in hacking the DNC. On July 28, 2016, Director Brennan met with President Obama and other White House personnel during which Brennan and the president discussed intelligence relevant to the 2016 presidential election, as well as the potential creation of an interagency fusion cell to synthesize and analyze intelligence about Russian malign influence on the 2016 presidential election. Brennan's recollection was that he spoke with Director Comey on the morning of July 29, 2016, to brief him on his July 28th meeting with the president. Brennan could not recall when he actually saw the Clinton plan intelligence, but he did not think he had the information when he spoke to Comey on that morning. Hmm. Immediately after communicating with the president, Comey and DNI Clapper, to discuss relevant intelligence. Director Brennan and other agency officials took steps to ensure that dissemination of intelligence related to Russia's election interference efforts, including the Clinton Plan intelligence, would be limited to protect sensitive information and prevent leaks. Brennan stated that the interagency fusion cell, a team to synthesize and analyze pertinent intelligence on Russian malign influence activities related to the presidential election, was put in motion after his meeting with President Obama on July 28th. Email traffic and witness interviews conducted by the special counsel's office reflect that at least some CIA personnel believed that the Clinton plan intelligence led to the decision being made to set up the fusion cell. Interesting. Okay, two, White House briefing. On August 3rd, 2016, within days of receiving the Clinton plan intelligence, Director Brennan met with the President, Vice President Biden, and other senior administration officials, including but not limited to the Attorney General, who participated remotely, and the FBI Director in the White House Situation Room, Debbie Comey, in the White House Situation Room to discuss Russian election interference efforts. According to Brennan's handwritten notes and his recollections from the meeting, he briefed on relevant intelligence known to date on Russian election interference, including the Clinton plan intelligence. Specifically, Director Brennan's declassif- declassified handwritten notes reflect that he briefed the meeting's participants regarding the, quote, alleged approval by Hillary Clinton on 26 July of a proposal from one of her campaign advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security services. Let me look
1: at these footnotes. Okay. Three, FBI awareness.
0: The office was unable to determine precisely when the FBI first obtained any of the details of the Clinton plan intelligence other than Director Comey, who attended the August 3rd, 2016 briefing. It appears, however, that this occurred no later than August 22nd, 2016. On that date, an FBI cyber analyst, Headquarters Analyst 2, emailed a number of FBI employees, including Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian Otten and Section Chief Maffa, the most senior intelligence analyst on the Crossfire Hurricane team, to provide an update on Russian intelligence materials. The email included a summary of the contents of the Clinton plan intelligence. The office did not identify any replies or follow-up actions taken by FBI personnel as a result of this email. So this headquarters analyst two sends that to Otten and Maffa, and they left it on red. It's left on red. When interviewed by the office, Otten recalled that on September 2nd, 2, 2016, approximately 10 days after headquarters two's. Headquarters Analyst 2's email. The official responsible for overseeing the fusion cell briefed Otten and Maffa and other FBI personnel at headquarters regarding the Clinton Plan intelligence. Otten did not recall any FBI operational personnel, i.e. Crossfire Hurricane agents, being present at the meeting. The official verbally briefed the individuals regarding the information that the CIA planned to send to the FBI in a written investigative referral, including the Clinton plan intelligence information. Otten recalled thinking at the meeting that he wanted to see the formal referral memo containing the Clinton plan intelligence, man. So do I, (laughs) I want to see it too. Checking those footnotes. All right. Separate and apart from this meeting, FBI records reflect that by no later than that same date, September 2nd, 2016. Then-FBI Assistant Director for Counterintelligence Bill Priestap was also aware of the specifics of the Clinton Plan Intelligence as evidenced by his handwritten notes from an early morning meeting with MAFA, D.A.D. Dina Corsi, and Acting A.D. for Cyber, Eric Sporey. The office was unable, the special counsel's office, was unable to determine the exact contours of pre knowledge. However, in part, because he declined to be interviewed by the office on this subject. Ah, so pre- this is one of the subjects that pre refused to talk to Durham about. Four, CIA referral and dissemination. Five days later, on September 7, 2016, the FBI completed its referral memo in response to an FBI request for relevant information reviewed by the fusion cell. The CIA addressed the referral memo to the FBI director and and to the attention of Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok. The referral memo, which mentioned the Clinton plan intelligence, stated in part, Per FBI verbal request, CIA provides the below examples of information the Crossfire Hurricane fusion cell has gleaned to date. Source revealing information has been redacted. Ah, I want to see it. All right. Quote, an exchange discussing U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. According to open sources, Goosefer 2.0, that's the first time we've heard Guccifer in this or read Goosefer in this whole thing. Goose, according to open sources, Goosefer 2.0 is an individual or group of hackers whom U.S. officials believe is tied to Russian intelligence services. Also per open sources, Goosefer 2.0 claimed credit for hacking the Democratic National Committee this year. So that was part of the referral memo right there. Okay, none of the FBI personnel who agreed to be interviewed could specifically recall receiving this referral memo, nor did anyone recall the FBI doing anything in response to the referral memo. Hmm.
1: So September 7th,
0: 2016... CIA completed the referral memo in response to FBI request. They wanted relevant information that was, in the, that was being reviewed by the fusion cell. The CIA addressed the referral memo to Director Comey and Peter Strzok The referral memo contained information about the Clinton plan intelligence, but none of the FBI personnel who agreed to be interviewed could specifically recall receiving this referral memo, nor did anyone recall the FBI doing anything in response to the referral memo. Well, we know that Comey and Strzok were
1: not interviewed by Durham.
0: So this doesn't mean that they don't remember it, but others don't remember it. Okay. Otten stated that it was possible he hand-delivered this referral memo to the FBI, as he had done with numerous other referral memos, and noted that he typically shared referral memos with the rest of the Crossfire Hurricane investigative team, although he did not recall if he did so in this instance. No, he took it and threw it in the trash. He didn't give it to the team. In late September 2016, high-ranking U.S. national security officials, including Comey and Clapper, received an intelligence product on Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election that included the Clinton plan intelligence. The office did not identify any further actions that the CIA or FBI took in response to this intelligence product as it related to the Clinton plan intelligence. Five, awareness by the Crossfire Hurricane investigators. The office located no evidence that in conducting the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, the FBI considered whether and how the Clinton Plan intelligence might impact the investigation. No FBI personnel who were interviewed by the office recalled Crossfire Hurricane personnel taking any action to vet the Clinton Plan intelligence. For example, Brian Otten said that he could not recall anything that the FBI did to analyze or otherwise consider the Clinton plan intelligence, saying that it was, quote, just one data point. This stands in sharp contrast to its substantial reliance on the uncorroborated Steele reports, which at least some FBI personnel appear to know was likely being funded or promoted by the Clinton campaign. For example, one. During a meeting in London on July 5th, 2016, Steele provided his first report to Handling Agent 1. Handling Agent 1's notes from the meeting reflect that H.C. was aware of his, meaning Steele, and his firm's seeking info. So that's H.C. is Hillary Clinton. So he's saying a, Handling Agent 1 made notes that reflect that, he was a, that Hillary Clinton was aware of Steele and his firm seeking info about Trump. While handling agent one did not have an independent recollection of Steele explicitly stating that Hillary Clinton, that HC referred to Hillary Clinton, he could think of no other individual in that context to whom HC could possibly refer. We know it's Hillary Clinton. It is. On September 23rd, 2016 struck, sent a link message to Brian Otten regarding the Michael Isikoff article that stated quote, looking at the Yahoo article, I can definitely say at a minimum, Steele's reports should be viewed as intended to influence as well as to inform. I mean, he's not wrong. On October 11th, 2016, Strzok sent a link message to OGC attorney Kevin Kleinsmith, noting that Steele's unnamed client was presumed to be connected to the Clinton campaign in some way. Yep. Nor did the office identify any evidence that the FBI disclosed the contents of the Clinton Plan Intelligence to the OI attorneys working on the FISA matters related to Crossfire Hurricane. Similarly, the FBI did not disclose any of the Clinton Plan Intelligence materials to the FISC, despite relying on the uncorroborated steel reporting in in its FISA applications concerning Carter Page. And we uncovered no evidence that anyone at the FBI considered doing so. The office showed portions of the Clinton plan intelligence to a number of individuals who were actively involved in the crossfire hurricane investigation. Most advised they had never seen the intelligence before, and some expressed surprise and dismay upon learning of it. For example, the original supervisory special special agent on the crossfire hurricane investigation, supervisory special agent one reviewed the intelligence during one of his interviews with the office After reading it, Supervisory Special Agent 1 became visibly upset and emotional, left the interview room with his counsel, and subsequently returned to state emphatically that he had never been apprised of the Clinton Plan intelligence and had never seen the aforementioned referral memo. Okay. so the Durham special counsel showed portions of the Clinton plan intelligence to a number of individuals who were actively involved in the crossfire hurricane investigation. Most advised they had never seen the intelligence before. And some expressed surprise and dismay upon learning of it. For example, the original supervisory special agent on the crossfire hurricane investigation Supervisory Special Agent 1. I want to know who that is. We can probably figure it out. I want to know who that is. After reading it, Supervisory Special Agent 1 became visibly upset and emotional, left the interview room with his counsel, and subsequently returned to state emphatically that he had never been appraised of the Clinton plan intelligence and had never seen the aforementioned referral memo. Supervisory Special Agent 1 expressed a sense of betrayal that no one had informed him of the intelligence. When the office cautioned Supervisory Special Agent 1 that we had not verified or corroborated the accuracy of the intelligence and its assertions regarding the Clinton campaign, Supervisory Special Agent 1 responded firmly that regardless of whether its contents were true, he should have been informed of it. Former FBI General Counsel Baker also reviewed the Clinton Plan Intelligence during one of his interviews with the office. Oh, one of his interviews. So uh, Baker was interviewed by Durham more than once. Baker stated that he had neither seen nor heard of the Clinton Plan Intelligence or the resulting referral memo prior to his interview with the office. He acknowledged the significance of the reporting and explained that had he known of it during the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, he would have viewed he would, would have viewed it as a, in a different and much more skeptical light. One, information the FBI received from still concerning Trump's purported ties to Russia and two information received from attorney Michael Sussman that were purported to show a secret communication channel between the Trump org and alpha bank. Um, I just want to toss this out there real quick about Baker who to me, I've leaned that he was white hat for a long time. And then with the Twitter files, he kind of, he became a bit gray to me, came in gray. I kind of became a little bit unsure of my assessment of Baker, but I think it speaks volumes that Baker was willing to meet with Durham and met with him multiple times and that he wasn't shown this referral memo.
2: that he had not seen or heard of it. I think they kept it from him. All right,
1: part
0: six right here. Other evidence obtained by the office that appears to be relevant to an analysis of the Clinton plan intelligence. As discussed above, according to the declassified Clinton Plan Intelligence, on July 26, 2016, Clinton allegedly approved the proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to tie Trump to Russia as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. The office interviewed a number of individuals connected with the campaign as part of its investigation into the Clinton Plan Intelligence. One foreign policy advisor, Foreign Policy Advisor 1, stated that she did not specifically remember proposing a plan to Clinton or other campaign leadership to, quote, stir up a scandal, and by tying Trump to Putin or Russia. Foreign Policy Advisor One stated, however, that it was possible that she had proposed ideas on these topics to the campaign's leadership, who may have approved those ideas. Foreign Policy Advisor One recalled conversations with others in the campaign expressing their genuine concerns that the DNC hack was a threat to the electoral system and that Trump and his advisors appeared to have troubling ties to Russia. Foreign Foreign Policy Advisor One said it was also possible someone proposed an idea of seeking to distract attention from the investigation into Clinton's use of a private email server, but she did not specifically remember any such idea. Foreign Policy Advisor One advised that she did not recall the FBI coming up in any campaign conversation she had. Who is she?
1: I, wonder who she? I wonder who
0: this she is that Durham interviewed. Interesting that she agreed to be interviewed by him. Records obtained from Foreign Policy Advisor One and she turned over records. Reflected on July 27, 2016... The day following candidate Clinton's purported authorization of the plan, foreign policy advisor one circulated a draft public statement to certain of her colleagues. In the email circulating the draft statement, foreign policy advisor one urged her colleagues to sign the draft statement, which criticized Trump for his comments about the, about the NATO Alliance and asserted that Trump's public statements concerning NATO were too friendly towards Russia. In her cover email, Foreign Policy Advisor One wrote, in part, We are writing to enlist your support for the attached public statement. Both of us are Hillary Clinton supporters and advisors, but hope that this statement could be signed by a bipartisan group. Donald Trump's repeated denigration of the NATO alliance, his refusal to support our Article 5 obligations to our European allies, and his kid-glove treatment of Russia and Vladimir Putin are among the most reckless statements made by a presidential candidate in memory. During the same week, Clinton's campaign manager, Robbie Mook, stated in media interviews that the campaign believed that the Russian government had carried out the DNC hack to assist Trump's electoral chances, and that Trump had made troubling statements concerning Russia. During an interview of former Secretary Clinton, the office asked if she had reviewed the information declassified by DNI Ratcliffe regarding her alleged plan to stir up a scandal between Trump and Russia. Clinton stated it was quote really sad but quote I get it you have to go down every rabbit hole she said that it looked like russian disinformation to me they're very good at it you know Clinton advised that she had a lot of plans to win the campaign and anything that came into the public domain was available to her It's going to take this moment I I know I did it already on on um telegram and I know that uh Dave X22 Cited me and featured it on his show the other night, which is awesome. Shout out to Dave. You're awesome. Thank you very much. I just want to point this out again for everybody. Durham interviewed Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Durham, the Punisher, interviewed the witch. And nobody said a damn word about it. Nobody knew. He interviewed her. Office of Special Counsel report of interview of Hillary Clinton, May 11th, 2022. So a year ago. A year ago. Durham interviewed Clinton and it never leaked. No leaks means no leaks. I mean, it's astounding. It's absolutely astounding that he could interview Hillary Clinton and it never leaked.
2: Even she and her cronies didn't leak it.
1: It's amazing. In addition,
0: the office interviewed several other former members of the Clinton campaign using declassified materials regarding the purported plan approved by Clinton. I wonder if one of the reasons that Trump declassified and Barr declassified all this so much stuff is because... Uh, To make it available, not just to make it available so Durham could see it. He doesn't need it declassified so he can see it. He needs it declassified so that he can use it in interrogations and interviews, right? So we tend to think of it's declassified. That means we get to see it. But another reason to declassify is so that when you interview people that are potential, that are persons of interest, that are subjects, and that are targets of your investigation, you can use the declassified material when you interview them. The campaign chairperson, John Podesta, stated that he had not seen the classified material before, characterized the information as ridiculous, and denied that the campaign was involved in any such plan. Jake Sullivan, the campaign senior policy advisor, stated that he had not seen the intelligence reporting before and had no reaction to it other than to say, quote, "That's ridiculous." Although the campaign was broadly focused on Trump and Russia. Sullivan could not recall any articulating a strategy or a plan. So Durham interviewed these guys. You see this? Durham interviewed John Podesta, didn't he?
1: Let me check that footnote.
0: OSC interview of John Podesta. OSC interview of Jake Sullivan. OSC interview of Jennifer Paul Mary. OSC interview of Foreign Policy Advisor 2. Amazing. Durham inter- has that ever leaked? I don't recall ever reading that Durham interviewed Podesta, Sullivan, or Paul Mary. do you? Do you guys recall ever reading that Durham interviewed these three individuals? Maybe I've forgotten it it's It's very possible that I've completely forgotten it, but that's remarkable all right uh attention because he ruled out. Although the campaign was broadly focused on Trump and Russia, been the attention away, the campaign communications director Jennifer Palmieri, who was shown the referral memo, stated that she had never seen the memorandum before, found its contents to be ridiculous. They they all got the <laughs> all of them got the memo to just tell Durham it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like a Rush Limbaugh montage, right? Oh, that's every <laughs> each one of them is saying it's ridiculous and could not recall anything like this related to the campaign. She stated that Podesta, Mook, Sullivan, and herself were aware of a project involving ties between Trump and Russia being conducted by Perkins Coie, the campaign law firm, but she did not think Clinton was aware of it, nor did she receive any direction or instruction from Clinton about the project. Another foreign policy advisor, Foreign Policy Advisor 2, confirmed that the campaign was focused on Trump and Russia, but that focus was due to national security concerns and not designed to distract the public from Clinton's server issue. Foreign Policy Advisor 2 stated that she did not have a conversation with Clinton about a plan involving Trump and Russia during the Democratic Convention, that she did not remember Clinton approving anything concrete, but that she, could, she would not necessarily have been involved in such strategy, strategy conversations. The office's review of certain communications involving Foreign Policy Advisor 1 and Foreign Policy Advisor 2, however, arguably provide some support for the notion that the Clinton campaign was engaged in an effort or plan in late July 2016 to encourage scrutiny of Trump's potential ties to Russia, and that the campaign might have wanted or expected law enforcement or other agencies to aid that effort, in part by concluding that the Russians were responsible for the hack. Boom. That's... This is, guys, that's Durham saying there was a plan. That's Durham right there saying there was, but this office figured out that it really looks like there was a plan. We just can't prove it in a court of law. I think that's what he's saying right here. The special counsel's review of certain communications involving FPA 1 and FPA 2 arguably provide some support for the notion that the Clinton campaign was engaged in an effort or plan in late July 2016, to encourage scrutiny of Trump's potential ties to Russia and that the campaign might have wanted or expected law enforcement or other agencies to aid that effort. Yep. For example, on July 5th, 2016, Foreign Policy Advisor 2 sent an email to three other campaign advisors, Individual 1, Individual 2, and Individual 3, in which she wrote, quote, We're looking for ways to build on Franklin Foer's great and scary piece on Trump and Russia. One thing I've heard from a few folks is that the Russia desk at State, meaning State Department, has been tracking and sounding an internal alarm about parallels between rhetoric, words, and methods that Trump uses and Putin-supported European right-wing candidates. I'm told it goes beyond just populist stuff. I'd love to get my hands on details of what they are seeing. Can one of you help run this down? I imagine INR or IC types might also have some insight. Obviously need to be a bit careful here, but eager to get specifics or details. Foreign Policy Advisor 2 stated that she did not speak with anyone at the State Department about this issue. The information she mentioned in this email regarding the State Department's Russia desk came from an outside advisor who formerly worked at the State Department, Outside Advisor
1: 1. In
0: addition, on July 25th, 2016, Foreign Policy Advisor 1 had the following text message exchange with Foreign Policy Advisor 2. So I'm going to abbreviate here. FPA 2. Can you see a special assistant to the president and National Security Council member? Whoever that is. Don't know who it is, okay? That's their title. Can you see if special assistant to the president and National Security Council member, will tell you if there is a formal FBI or other investigation into the hack. FPA 1. She won't say anything more to me. Sorry. Told me she went as far as she could. FPA 2. Okay, do you have others who might? FPA 1. Has Individual 2 tried her? Curious if she would react differently to Individual 2. I can also try Office of the Vice President. They might say more. FPA2. I don't know if he has, but can ask. Would also be good to try OVP and anyone in IC. FPA1. Left messages for OVP, but Politico just sent me a push notification stating that they are indeed investigating. FPA2. FBI just put out our statement. Thanks. In sum, Foreign Policy Advisor One's July 27, 2016 email to her colleagues regarding Trump, Russia, and NATO, the day after Clinton purportedly approved a plan to tie Trump to Russia, is consistent with the substance of the purported plan. In addition, Foreign Policy Advisor One's text message exchange with Foreign Policy Advisor Two supports the notion that at least some officials within the campaign were seeking information about the FBI's response to the DNC hack, which would be consistent with, and a means of furthering, the purported plan. Moreover, the campaign's funding of the Steele reports and Alpha Bank allegations, as described in greater detail in sections 4D1B2 and 4E1B, provide some additional support for the credibility to the information set forth in the Clinton plan intelligence. Okay, this is let me check. I need to see how long this part goes cuz it's about time
1: for me to end. Ooh, this section goes on for a while. There's not a break in it. Okay, yeah,
0: we're going to pick this as a stopping point because I can't finish all of that before I need to go, and I like I like stopping at least where there's like a subsection. You know, cuz This stuff, you you read too much of this stuff. Yeah, this is a... Yeah, Gunny, this is a good time to cut right there. Wow. Y'all can expect a post about mosaics from me later today. (laughs) So... Thank you everyone. We stopped on page We stopped on page 92. So, that is where we're at, page 92. We got much more to go. I'm really enjoying this. I hope you guys are too. And I know it's going to we're going to be doing this for a while. Not we're not, I'm not going over other news like we I'm not I mean, I don't do a news aggregation show, but I do um it's rare for me to focus on just one topic, but that's what we're going to do. I'm just we're going to tear through this thing page by page. And at the end of it, we're all going to be so much more informed than we were at the start. And that's why we're doing it. So thank, thanks everybody really appreciate y'all being here and thank you very much for the support. There was a rumble rant earlier that I missed KJ Russell. Thank you very much for that very generous rant. It's much appreciated. JC bird. Thank you very much for your continued support and God bless you. Yeah. God bless each and every one of you. Y'all have a great weekend and, uh, stay positive, man, man, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Look, look for me to go live sometime tomorrow. I don't know if it'll be Saturday morning, afternoon, or evening. Just it'll have, to, I'll figure out a time. I'll post it and, uh, I'll try and get another two hours in on Saturday. So God bless y'all. Have a great one.